It is Thursday, October 26th, and this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On this week's show, we talk with the policy manager for Indivisible, Chad Bolt, who will tell us everything that we need to know about the coming fight on tax reform. And then we talk with two members of Indivisible-affiliated groups in Virginia about the governor's race there that the whole country is watching. Chad Bolt is the policy manager for Indivisible in Washington, D.C., and he joins us now to talk about the game plan for the fight against Trump's tax plan or uh, hashtag Trump tax scam. Chad Bolt, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk with us, man. Yeah, great to be with you, Stefan. So I should begin by mentioning that just previous to our recording this, the House very narrowly approved the Senate budget resolution. So tax reform is potentially opening up some very big fault lines within the GOP, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, so so we learned two things this morning. Um, one is that Republicans want to put the pedal to the metal on jamming through the Trump tax scam. Right. Uh, and they did that by having the House just swallow the Senate version and vote on that instead of going to conference uh, to you know put together the two different versions that the House and Senate passed. And the second thing we learned is that this is going to be this could be really hard for them. Uh, there was a, a contingent in the House, uh, Republicans from from blue states. That, New York and New Jersey, right? Yeah, exactly. New York and New Jersey uh, stand to lose a lot if the um, state and local deduction is repealed as part of the Trump tax scam. And that's what's being referred to as the SALT deduction. Yeah, that's right. Yep, that's the SALT. So, I mean, the, the puns really are... The, <laughs> <laughs> they write themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there were some Republican members from blue states feeling salty about this. Nice. And nice. Uh, so <laughs> I'm going I'm to just leave it there. All right. Cool. Well, I should also mention that a Reuters poll yesterday that says that only a third of Americans support this tax plan. So I think we can all agree that this is a huge opportunity for us in the grassroots world to really push back on this thing. And I, I, I want to get to how in just a bit. But first, can you very briefly outline some of what is in this budget that just the House. Uh, we know that it expands the deficit by $1.5 trillion. Uh, yeah. Does this version still have the massive cuts to Medicaid and Medicare that the original House cuts had? So this one doesn't have them explicitly. The House version that passed uh, a few weeks ago had explicit cuts to Medicare and Medicaid, about $450 billion to Medicare, $1 trillion to Medicaid over 10 years. Right. But the Senate version doesn't have that because the House was was actually trying to pay for their massive tax cuts for the rich and corporations, and they paid for it by cutting Medicaid and Medicare. Right. The Senate said, we want to make the same tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations, but we're just not going to pay for them. Instead, we're just going to add a trillion and a half to the deficit. Now, make no mistake, that will still force deep cuts to Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've seen this before, uh, the Bush tax cuts, the early two thousands were passed through reconciliation, just like Republicans plan to do here. Uh, they exploded the deficit just like this one will. And, uh, shortly after their passage, George W. Bush turned right around and said, oh my goodness, look at our deficits. 
we've got to do something about entitlements. And so here's my plan to privatize Social Security. Right. Uh, it's the exact same thing here, except this time it's going to be Medicaid. And we've already seen the Republicans blueprint for this. It's a trillion cut from Medicaid over 10 years. You have a master's degree in applied economics. So I will kind of follow up with sort of a wonky question. Why sure. do you suppose after it's been disproven to work again and again, most recently in Kansas under Sam Brownback, why do you think Republicans keep going back to the same playbook of tax cuts for the wealthy as a way to stimulate economic growth? So, you know, unfortunately, you're right that I do have that degree, but unfortunately, you don't need a master's in economics to know that <laughs> uh, they are they are being responsive to the interests of their wealthy donors and the corporations that donate to their campaigns uh, above any anything or anyone else. Yeah. Um, they want to see tax cuts. And I mean, it's part of the just Republican dogma. This is cutting taxes is is part of their DNA. It is. They live and breathe for this stuff. Actually, Lindsey Graham yep. said to reporters on Wednesday that without tax reform, there is no Republican Party. So, uh, again, a huge <laughs> yeah. opportunity. So uh, now that the budget is passed the House, uh, tell us what happens next legislatively. So this was the the first step in in a two-step fight over the Trump tax scam. This first phase, the budget resolution, unlocked the process in the Senate that I'm sure your listeners are familiar with called reconciliation. Right. And reconciliation is the special process that lets, uh, lets Republicans pass legislation through the Senate with only 51 votes as opposed to the usual 60 needed to break a filibuster. And that's what happened with Trump care as well, all the yep, fights in Trump that, care. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. They did the same thing with Trump care. They passed a budget resolution that unlocked reconciliation, and then they tried to move the bill. It, uh, you'll remember it being called skinny repeal by the time it like actually came around to a, a bill they were trying to pass, um, tried to pass that through the Senate. Obviously, they weren't successful. Um, yeah, that was the big moment with John McCain and the uh, the Roman thumbs down. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. That was, a, that was a big moment. And it happened because of our massive constituent power. Absolutely. And it will take the same level of effort, if not more. Uh, to defeat the Trump tax scam. But the stakes are just as high for the reasons we just discussed earlier. Um, you know, what's on the table uh, is is massive cuts uh, to Medicaid and Medicare that the, the trillion and a half added to the deficit would force. Um, but I mean, there's there's other other things at stake here, too. I mean, this is talking about giving massive tax cuts to the wealthy and corporations while the middle class gets next to nothing. In fact, the Tax Policy Center found that um, not only does the middle class get next to nothing, but about a quarter of the middle class will actually see a tax increase right. uh, based on the latest version of Trump Care. Or, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to get them mixed up. Yeah. Well, I want to get into all of the details of that in just a second. But first, I, I just want to kind of quickly outline. So what happens on November 1st is they finalize the text yep. of the, the Trump tax outline. Uh, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. they have a yeah. markup in the Ways and Means Committee in the House on the 6th of November. And um, I I think the, that presents a unique opportunity for those of us here in Washington who live in the 8th Congressional District, because that is Dave Reichert's district, and he sits on the House Ways and Means Committee, uh, and I should also mention he's retiring. Uh, so that gives people in that district a unique opportunity, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's, uh, that's likely to be a multi-day markup, like all-day affairs where they spend all day going over stuff. 
um, probably, most likely, this could change, obviously, but most likely Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of that week. And it happens to overlap with what we're doing to fight the Trump tax scam. We are having a national week of action, the week of November 6th, um, so that we can demonstrate a national massive opposition to tax cuts for the rich and corporations paid for by uh, forcing deep cuts to Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security down the road. Outstanding. And I, I actually also want to get into some of the other things that uh, Indivisible has planned uh, for that week and also moving forward right up until the point when there's uh, a final Senate vote on this thing. But I, I do want to kind of briefly go over, you touched on this earlier, but I want to briefly go over what is in Trump's tax plan. Um, <laughs> as you mentioned, I think it's fair to say that it kind of represents a very animating force behind the modern Republican Party, which is to shred the social safety net and give it away to the 1% in the form of tax cuts. Uh, we don't know everything that is in it, but we do know that it lowers the top tax rate uh, for or the, for top incomes. It also lowers the rate on something called pass-through income. Can you briefly explain what that is? I understand that this actually benefits Trump himself. Yeah, absolutely. And this is part of the reason uh, that we call it the Trump tax scam, because, I mean, that's just, that's exactly what it is. Uh, and this pass through is a great example of it. And Trump goes around, he's on this like, you know, national tour, which also happens to overlap with uh, states that have red states that have Democrats in the Senate. This national tour saying that the Trump tax scam is going to be good for small business. And when he says that, he's talking about uh, this pass through change. So pass through income is uh, is when an individual owns a small business uh, or owns something like a small business uh, and they pay their uh, taxes through the individual side of the tax code rather than paying um, tax on business income. And what does that allow them to do? So, well, basically like the business income passes through, that's where the name comes from, to the individual side of the taxes that they pay. Okay. Um, and so they pay individual rates on it right now. And so remember the top individual rate is almost 40%. So if you're very wealthy, you're paying that 40% rate on, on the highest part of your income. Um, Trump has proposed to lower or, or rather limit the rate on pass-through income from the current high of 39.6, limit it to 25%. But remember, if you're a small, a true small business, chances are you are not paying the top rate. Right. You're probably paying something close to 25% or less already. So it doesn't help small businesses, really. Right. So limiting the pass-through rate to 25% doesn't help you if 25% is what you're already paying. Got it. Now, who's paying more than that? Hedge funds, private law firms, and much of the Trump organization is also organized as pass-throughs. And so under his plan, they would actually get uh, a reduction down to 25%. Yep. That's exactly right. They are paying at higher rate. I'm just trying to give people uh, some talking points so that they're armed uh, going into this this fight that's ahead. Uh, it also proposes to lower the corporate tax rate. And uh, Republicans will often say that we have the highest corporate tax rate in the world. But there is a difference between what is called the statutory tax rate and the actual tax rate. Can you shed some light on that? Yeah, absolutely. Stefan, I can tell you've been reading my tweets. I love it. <laughs> I'm following you on Twitter, man. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so it's exactly right. This is one of the most common talking points. Like we have the highest tax rate in the world and we've got to do something about it. Right. Um, so it's true that the statutory rate on corporate tax, uh, the statutory corporate tax rate right now is 35%. 
um, that is higher than the rest of the world. But the effective rate, what corporations actually pay, is uh, something closer to 14% according to the GAO, the Government Accountability Office. So that 14% rate is in line or lower than the rest of the world. So when members of Congress are going around saying that, I mean, they're just not being honest with their constituents because they know corporations don't pay the the statutory rate, they pay the 14% the effective rate. And so people say like, okay, well then, why don't we just lower the the statutory rate to bring it in line with the rest of the world. And okay, that's fair. But if you leave in place all of these other corporate loopholes, then they're not starting at 35, getting down to 14. Right. They're starting at something like 20 and getting down to single digits. Which is exactly how Trump likes to make deals. So, <laughs> right. so we've seen this. Well, we've seen this before. And the vast majority of Americans think corporations don't pay enough in taxes. That's what we need to shed the light on. Yes. And, and I think that's that's the that might be one of the the most important talking points. And I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing only one third approval rating uh, for this this tax plan. Another talking point, actually, is that this is going to help workers. Uh, but that's not true. Can that's you exactly explain right. that for us? Um, so there's a lot of talk about lowering this corporate rate. It's going to have like a big impact on on workers. And the evidence does not suggest uh, or show at all that cutting the corporate tax rate results in higher worker wages or higher productivity. It doesn't trickle down. No, yeah. absolutely no, absolutely not. The the benefits of cutting the corporate tax rate accrue to CEOs and to shareholders. It does not translate uh, to higher worker wages and analysis from CBO, from the Nonpartisan Tax Policy Center, from the Joint Committee on Taxation. All, and up until very recently, the, the Treasury Department all bears that out. And the, the, the ones aside from the Treasury Department are nonpartisan. So uh, I believe we can believe them uh, when they say that. So I want to shift over and talk about the game plan for fighting this tax bill. Uh, one yeah. of the things that, and we've mentioned this already, that this bill has in common with the fight over Trump care is that it'll likely end up slashing Medicaid. This was a pressure point with constituents for a lot of senators, including Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. I'm wondering, will the resistance game plan for the tax plan be similar? Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of ways that the fight over Trump care uh, is exactly like the fight over the Trump tax scam. And and that's actually great for us because we're playing out of the same sl- same playbook. Right. So all we have to do is sort of run the same plays again um, and do it just as loud, be just as organized. Um, but we already know that we can win. I mean, we know this stuff works. We know that we can win. Um, like you just said, you know, the Trump care bill was it was a it was primarily a, a bill to um, you know, it was also a plan to slash Medicaid and give it away to billionaires, right? Exactly, right. But there were also huge tax cuts uh, for the wealthy and corporations in the Trump care bill, just like the Trump tax scam. Uh, the health care bill would have paid for it by cutting Medicaid, just like the Trump tax scam will do. Um, they're using the same partisan reconciliation process to jam it through in the Senate. Uh, it's going to be the same constant shell game of like, oh, it's not in the bill. We're, you know, we don't have final text yet. Uh, you know, the kind of thing where they don't let you see what's exactly in the bill until the last minute, or they tell you that they fixed something that you're calling to to voice concern about. Well, and actually, in the case of Trump Care, a lot of Republicans didn't know it was in the bill before they voted on it. So, yes. 
Yeah. That's exactly right. Now it does seem like they're going to, there will be a little bit more of a meaningful process around this. Like they are planning for markups in the ways and means committee, which is hardly something they did on Trump care. Right. Um, but still, I think there's going to be like we, like we alluded to earlier, there's going to be some real friction points internally in the Republican party, the state and local. T- uh, and we want to exploit those as much as we can. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, salt is is actually pretty regressive. Uh, it it benefits millionaires and billionaires more than it benefits anyone else. They've got almost an unlimited benefit from it, um, and so and so capping it would actually um, bring some fairness to the tax code. So we're not necessarily saying like you know preserve salt as it is today. Um, but it is, like I said, it is a friction point among Republicans and it will hold up the Trump tax scam. Other examples of that as well that I, I think we will dig into as this fight plays out. So as those internal pressure points bubble, uh, I, th- I think we'll start to see, you know, backroom deals, side deals between members, you know, to get to the magic number of votes that they need that are not going to be public. Uh, there's certainly not going to be any any sunlight shining on on those secret deals. So I think we'll we expect to see more of that. And then the last way they're similar is that Trump care was deeply unpopular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think moving through the house that had something like a 17 percent approval rating. Um, you were just talking. There's only a third of Americans that approve of the Trump tax scam. Um, you know, it, it is not popular to cut taxes for corporations. Like I said earlier, people want corporations to pay more. Um, so so we definitely have that in our favor as well. But the final way that they're similar is that it's going to take uh, a similar level of massive constituent power to defeat the Trump tax scam as it took to defeat Trump care. Yeah. So we've got, uh, we're starting to plan it now. We've got the National Week of Action coming up on November 6th. Great. Um, if you uh, go to our website, indivisible.org slash sign up, uh, you can um, sign up for our emails. We have an email going out this weekend to tell you, to give you a sneak peek of that National Week of Action. And we'll have more materials coming out uh, next week that walk you through exactly how to plan an event, what you should be doing, what you should be saying, how you should go about it, all that. Um, because we we really want to see a massive national response to the Trump, Trump tax scam that overlaps with the markups happening in the Ways and Means Committee the week of November 6th. And as I as I mentioned earlier, uh, those of us in the 8th District, uh, our representative Dave Reichert is on the, the House Ways and Means Committee. So uh, again, yes. we'll, we'll definitely be wanting to put extra pressure on him in the form of uh, phone calls, office visits when uh, possible and, and such. Um, we here in Washington have two Democratic senators, as you know. Um, are we going to be asking them to do the same sorts of things like we did with Trump care, like slowing Senate business down, possibly doing a voterama when it comes down to a Senate vote? Yeah, I think those those are the best ways uh, that your blue state senators can contribute to this fight. Um, we definitely want to make sure they're doing everything that they can procedurally to gum up the works, um, because Republicans are are working against two self-imposed time deadlines on this. One is they think, you know, touching tax policy is politically too toxic for them to do in the year of a midterm. Right. Well, obviously 2018 is a midterm year. Um, and so they really, really want to be done with this by the holidays. But look at what's happening in Alabama. <laughs> the poll that came out 
that everyone showed, uh, everyone saw showed a, a tied up race, 42-42. Um, it's possible, I mean, stranger things have happened. Luther stranger things have happened. If we're going to do puns, I mean, I might as well toss that in. <laughs> they, I mean, they could lose a Senate seat uh, in December, which would... In the reddest of states, no less. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we're, we're so encouraged by... Uh, signs that we see coming out of Alabama, just that people are saying up, standing up and saying, you know, no to the to the Trump agenda. Um, but they could lose they could lose a Senate seat in Alabama. And at the very least, uh, if it is won by Roy Moore, um, he's he's said some very negative things about the tax plan. Uh, and so I don't think they can count on his vote for it, actually. So the new Alabama senator, no matter who it is, is seated in the Senate on December 12th. And so they actually are now thinking that they need to finish this before that um, so that they can jam this through the Senate. So those are the deadlines. And so everything that we can do to delay uh, gets us closer to victory. And part of that is those um, procedural tactics that Democrats can use to, to slow things down. Fantastic. Well, I think we're uh, we're pretty well informed at this point as to, to what's uh, going to be happening in the, the weeks ahead. Uh, you mentioned the Indivisible.org sign up. I think that's great. Uh, I will also mention that people can find all the information that we talked about here at TrumpTaxScam.org. I will have a link uh, to both of those up on the SoundCloud page and also the website. Uh, I also want to encourage people to follow Chad on Twitter. Uh, Chad, tell us your, your handle. It's at Chatter, C-H-A-D-D-E-R-R. Phenomenal. All right. Chad Bolt, thank you so much for taking the time to explain all this for us. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So as you may already know, there is a governor's race happening in Virginia this year, and it has a lot of people watching it very closely. Virginia is a purple state that has been turning more and more blue over the last few years, and most polls show Democrat Ralph Northam with varying degrees of a lead over Republican Ed Gillespie, but it is far from a sure thing, so a lot is riding on the outcome. Something else that is in the mix is the race for the House of Delegates, Virginia's state legislature, which is also very much in play. My next two guests are with indivisible affiliated groups in the state, and they are joining me to talk about the race there. So first, I spoke with Yvonne Wallace-Fuentes. She is an associate professor of history at Roanoke College. She is also one of the founders of Roanoke Indivisible. So I asked her to first talk about some of the actions that her group has been taking on behalf of both of these races. So we've been doing a lot of work with canvassing and voter outreach. Uh, some of that is actually going and knocking on doors, right, which uh, all of the evidence suggests that multiple touches is really what, um, especially in off-year elections, can guarantee that people remember that there's an election and make a plan to vote. And so what Virginia has that is a little unusual is that there is an election every single year. So we had a presidential election last year. This year, we're voting for our governor and House of Delegates. Next year, we'll be voting for our Senate. So it's every single year we have have to remind our voters to go out, uh, making it quite difficult, as you can imagine, uh, because this is an off-off-year election. Right. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people really are seeing this race as an indicator for the 2018 election. Uh, some are saying that if Northam wins, it is a good sign for the Democrats going into next year. But uh, if he loses, there will likely be a lot of upset within the Democratic Party about messaging and direction, with the likely result being more of the infighting that we saw in the 2016 election. Uh, I'm especially interested in your take as a professor of history. What are your thoughts on the implication of this election in 2017? Well, I, I do think it, it does have inescapably um, 
national implications simply because it's the first real statewide test of what we could call the resistance electoral potential, right? So as opposed to like one special election in Georgia or in Kansas or in Oklahoma, where we've seen um, seats that really uh, nobody would have thought could have been contested by Democratic candidates, uh, at least be in contention and in some cases flip, right? Uh, this is the first time that we're going to see it on a, on a statewide uh, model. So I think it is uh, inescapably very important. This is what I would say to that. Um, I would say that it is already great news for Democratic voters everywhere. And that's simply because we saw so many Democratic primary voters come out yeah. uh, that it indicates that the enthusiasm is clearly, absolutely and clearly on the Democratic side. And I think we're going to see that also at nationwide in 18. I can also just anecdotally mention that um, we haven't seen as many uh, yard signs supporting the Republican ticket as we did for the presidential election. Yeah. Uh, and so in some places, uh, I would suggest, uh, based on my anecdotal observations, that you aren't seeing the kind of uh, groundswell support for the Republican campaign here. Well, that is uh, music to a lot of people's ears listening, I'm sure. Um, you know, I should mention that a Facebook Live video that you and some members of your Indivisible group made after you paid a visit to your representative's office, Bob Goodlatte, back in January, uh, that video wound up being featured that day on the Rachel Maddow show. And I understand that you didn't know anything about it until after it aired, right? You must have been quite surprised. It caught us, uh, I assure you, completely by surprise. Let me tell you how much of a surprise it was. Uh, we actually had a special election here in Virginia at that time, uh, one for the Virginia Senate, and then there was one for uh, a special election for a House of Delegates. And so right after that, I went, uh, took care of my family, I made some pork chops for my children, and then I rushed off to phone bank for one of those special elections. And then I got home and I was sort of exhausted. And I, I didn't watch Rachel Maddow that night, so I had no idea what was happening until it blew up my Facebook feed afterwards, right? Because people were like, <laughs> oh my God, like, where did I just see you? Um, and it, it happened so quickly that I didn't have a chance to uh, warn my mother, who actually does watch Rachel Maddow with um, some uh, regularity. And so she caught that show completely by surprise. Like she had no idea that wow. it was going to happen. Like, and, that's my um, daughter on TV. Wow. Right, right, right. And the other thing that um, that made it particularly poignant is that my mother um, was born in Guatemala. So was I. And so she spent her youth um, in a political environment where if you see somebody that you love on television for their political ideals, it's, it's, it's a sign of danger, right? Sure. And you're not, you weren't really allowed to speak out against no, the government not, no, at that time. People died. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> Uh, many, many people died. And um, so she told me afterwards that when she saw my face, her first instinct was like her heart just caved mm -hmm. inside her, right? Because like, that was, that's how she was trained. That's how she was reared. That's how she was raised. And then like her very next breath was like, but in this country, we can do this. Yeah. Well, Yvonne Wallace Fuentes, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us and for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you guys for all your hard work out there in Washington. It's going to take all of us together. Absolutely. Yvonne is an associate professor of history at Roanoke College, and she is the author of the book Most Scandalous Woman, Magda Portal and the Dream of Revolution in Peru.
Next, I spoke with Julia Kay. Her group, We of Action, is an indivisible affiliated group based in Arlington, which is just outside of D.C. In addition to doing work on behalf of the governor's race, she and the members of We of Action have been very active on behalf of the fight to flip the House of Delegates, which is our equivalent of the state house representatives here in Washington. As most of you know, we have a pivotal state-level race for the state Senate seat in the 45th District. Go Moncadengra. So I began by asking Julia to tell us a little bit about some of the work that she and her group have been doing to turn their state blue. Well, so we did a lot of research at the beginning of the year, and we watched the movie Jerry Rigged, which you can see on YouTube. And we saw that a lot of the seats in Congress are held by Republicans, even though um, most of our state is is pretty split, um, Democrats and Republicans, um, and it's due to gerrymandering. And, And who draws these unbalanced electoral districts? Well, in most states, the folks with the power are the politicians who sit in our state legislatures. So if a party wins the majority in the state legislature, they get to... Uh, to jerry-rig not only their own electoral seats so as to um, get a hold on power almost permanently, but they can also do the same for our members of Congress. And, um, you know, we're looking ahead to next year. We don't want that situation. Absolutely. And the other thing is that uh, if Republicans um, win just one more state legislature, having followed their Project Red Map, which was hatched by Ed Gillespie, the Republican running for governor in Virginia, If they win just one more state, they'll be able to hold a U.S. constitutional convention. In order to actually enact anything, they would need to have 38. But calling it is the first stage, and in fact, they're so close that the Koch brothers helped fund a rehearsal for this constitutional convention. (laughs) Well, that's chilling. Well, well, so we know what the stakes are. So talk a little bit about what you're doing specifically to try to, I believe it's 17 seats that you need to flip in your House of Delegates to uh, turn it over to the Democrats, right? Exactly. And while 17 seats might sound like a lot to win back in a 100-seat legislature, it turns out coincidentally that Hillary Clinton won the majority of the vote in 17 of our House of Delegate districts that currently have Republicans as the delegates. That's encouraging. It is great. So those seats are flippable. Those voters want Democratic policies. And so we are working. uh, The grassroots is really focusing on the whole 17, even those that are in light blue areas, although I believe – National Democrats, to some extent, seem focused on just a few of the seats in the deepest blue areas because that will also help support the um, governor's race. But we've raised $31,000 for House of Delegates candidates. We've been turning out hundreds of grassroots activists uh, to canvas uh, for these uh, delegate challengers, and they're making great headway. Uh, We even have a fundraiser that's still up. If you go to our website, wolfavva.org, and search for the word crowd pack on that page, you will see a fundraiser. All of the money from that fundraiser is sent directly by the payment processor to these House of Delegates campaigns. And uh, a lot of them, as I said, are neck and neck. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We've also got a phone bank that we set up called Phone Bank for VA. Uh, That's virtual. It's online on our website on a password-protected page. Uh, But we have been getting the word out, and it's being publicized by Californians, by Arizonans, uh, around the country. I would not doubt that Washington State uh, indivisible groups have noticed and have publicized this. If you search for Phone Bank for VA on Twitter or Facebook, uh, you can find out how to find out more. 
Great. All right. So I want to shift over and talk specifically about the governor's race. Uh, And this is a race that everybody is watching very closely. A lot of people see this particular race as a bellwether for the 2018 elections. Uh, Democratic candidate Ralph Northam seems to be ahead, depending on the polls that you look at. So if he loses, Democrats and Republicans uh, may see echoes of the 2016 election. And of course, if he wins, Democrats will likely see this as a good sign and maybe even a model for 2018. And I want to get your take on all that in a second. But first, what are some of the actions that your group has been taking in support of Ralph Northam? Well, uh, so many. So uh, three members of our group co-hosted a fundraiser for Ralph Northam. It was organized by our neighbor, Natalie Roy, and raised $32,000 for Ralph. You guys are Um, flexing some serious financial muscle there. It's very impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of our local delegates said that if we... um, if we win these races, he said, Arlington will have played a, a big part. And um, and we're working hard. Arlington is uh, the hometown of many of us. But to be honest, there are activists throughout the state who are working so hard, rural as well as urban areas, to try to make sure that we can hang on to our values. Another thing that we've done for Ralph is um, uh, WOFA. My group has held what we call WOFA Wednesdays, knocking doors to the combined ticket of Ralph Northam, Dustin Fairfax, and Mark Herring. And other groups like uh, Network Nova have done so as well. Um, and uh, even uh, even many uh, folks from neighboring states have turned out to come over here and knock doors, such as the Jaywalkers and 31st Street Swing Left um, from Maryland oh, and from great. D.C. Yeah, Sister District and Ward 3 Democrats. I mean, just all kinds of folks. We've also done phone banking for Ralph. And um, yeah, it's an exciting time to be doing activism here. I'm curious to get your sense in talking to voters, how you see the race shaping up. As I said, the polls are conflicting. So what is your sense of the race on the ground there? There have been polls both ways. Mm -hmm. And so what many activists have decided is we're going to ignore the polls. It was by listening to polls last year that got Democrats in trouble. Uh, so we're just going to keep our heads down and work like heck. Now, um, we have we have some Republicans in our group. We have some independents in our group. But everyone believes we need some change at this point. And if the, if the governor's race is lost, I can see Donald Trump's tweet right now. Yeah, I think day. we all can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, he's going to say, the great historic state of Virginia, one of the cradles of our democracy, has affirmed the Trump agenda. Right. Sad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you nailed it. Um, well, so thank you so much for all the work that you and your group are doing. And thank you for joining us on the show. Thank you so much, Stefan. This has been a pleasure. And that will do it for this week's show. Uh, No call to action this week as we went a little long, but I think it is fair to say that we can all gear up for the fight ahead on tax reform. Again, everything that we spoke about is at indivisiblepodcast.org. That is where you will learn more about this show. And hey, why not subscribe while you're there? That sounds like a plan. Oh, and do keep the emails coming as always. The email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Again, indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is at indivisiblepod. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc., and I am beyond happy to announce that our show now has an amazing executive producer, Aaron Albanese. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thanks also to Chad Levinson and Emily Phelps for their help this week. Thanks to my guests, Chad Bolt, Julia Kay, and Yvonne Wallace-Fuentes. And thanks, as always, to you for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.